0: what you have for us today in your word. Amen. Well, we are nearing uh, the last sort of leg of our series that we've been walking through the life of David, and we've been talking about not just David, but the things leading up to David, some of the uh, David's um, uh, predecessor Samuel and Samuel's mother Hannah. We've been talking about David and Goliath and David becoming king, and uh, now we're sort of entering into the apex, the top part of David's reign as king. This passage today is going to really sum up sort of for us what uh, David, the most, the, you know, the most glorious moment of his uh, uh, illustrious career as king and his life, really. And it doesn't have a lot to do with being a king, necessarily. It has more to do with being um, a servant of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. All you need to know in terms of what happened from last week to this is that the Ark of the Covenant has now come into Jerusalem. Uh, David, last week, defeated the Philistines twice. And now, uh, from now on until the end of David's career, the Philistines don't crop up again. They have been thoroughly defeated. They come up later in Scripture, but at this point, there's a real sense of rest From the enemies of Israel. David has done very well, and the Lord has blessed him with a season of rest. And David begins to think about religious obligations at this point. He's built himself a huge palace in Jerusalem, he's brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city. And now he's beginning to think more about about the Lord and about honoring God. And so we're going to read, I'm going to read for you. We're in 2 Samuel 7. I'm going to read for you the first three verses. And we'll talk for a bit, and I'll read another section. We'll talk for a bit, read the last section. All right. So this is 2 Samuel 7, verses 1 through 3. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Now, Nathan here is, uh, we're going to encounter him a little bit later when he begins to uh, convict David of some sin that David has done um, and actually be involved in murder. Nathan's going to be the one to kind of say, hey, that was wrong what you did there. But here you get a very different picture of Nathan. And In fact, Nathan is a court prophet. That means he's probably eating from the king's table. He lives in Jerusalem. And he's a part of David's, you know, entourage, sort of his courtly people. He's probably an advisor there. So when David says, uh, you know, Nathan, I, I got this idea. I got this, this thing that's bothering me. I live in a house of cedar, and here the Lord's Ark is in a tent, and that bothers me. And Nathan, I can imagine, he's on the, you know, he's on the payroll, And so he doesn't even think twice really about it. He says, go, David, just do whatever you feel like. You know, go do what the Lord has put on your heart to do. Because the Lord is with you. It's obvious to everyone. Just do what you are going to do. But we're going to discover that maybe that's not exactly what God wanted to do. Maybe Nathan should have taken a little more time to figure out exactly what the Lord wanted to do. Instead of just saying, being sort of a yes man, in a sense, for David. So what happens? In verse 4, I'm going to read for a little bit longer. That same night, right? Nathan talks to the king. He says, go do whatever you feel like. And that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? Uh Uh-oh, Nathan's probably at this point thinking to himself, oh, uh, I should have, nuts. I should have taken a little more time with that. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people uh, of Israel up from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent in a tabernacle. Wherever I've been moving among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus shall you, shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pastures, from, the following, from following the sheep to be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off from all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more, as formerly From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, uh, sorry, uh, evildoers shall afflict them no more formally from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give the rest from all your enemies. Let's pause there. So there's two ways that you can sort of look at this, right? There's one way where God is sort of saying to David, Oh, wow, David, you know I really appreciate the offer. That's very kind of you. Uh, to think of me. And I just, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, you know what, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. No, I, you know, I'm going to plant you. I'm going to plant you. You're, you're being so nice to me, and I just feel like I want to plant you. I'm the one who should be blessing you, really. I'm the God. I should be blessing you. I mean, here you are coming to me with this great idea for a house, and it's awesome, but I just, I want to be blessing you for a bit. So that's one way that you can got to look at what God's doing here. There's a second way that I kind of, Think is maybe more in line where God is basically saying, "Huh? <laughs> Wait, no, you're gonna you're gonna build me a house, like to live in. Like I'm gonna have a door and a roof so I can sleep at night. Like what? <laughs> um, and so it's with that idea that I want to reread this passage, the way that I feel like in my mind I hear God saying it. Okay, so here he goes." That same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since I brought the people of Israel up out of Egypt to this day. And I've been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved among all the people of Israel, did I... Ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel? Whom, by the way, I have commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off from your enemies before you and furthermore I will make a great name for you like the name of like the ones of the great ones of earth And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more, and evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I, by the way, appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house." David, you don't come to me and say, I'm going to make a little house for you, and would you put a little trellis out in front? I would really appreciate a garden, right? God says, David, I'm the housemaker. I'm the one who planted you. I'm the one who gets to do that. You don't get to make a house for me. One of our greatest temptations is this strong desire to place God. We have these great ideas. Do you remember there's this story? If you're not familiar with the New Testament, don't worry but. It's a story from the New Testament where Jesus is up on a hill, and we call it the Great Transfiguration. And it's basically this moment where the disciples are there, and it's like Jesus, but it's like Jesus, where they really get to see a bit of what it means to be the Son of God. And Elijah and Moses show up also at this moment. And Peter goes, oh, whoa, talk about luck. We're here we can build you huts. You know, I could build a little hut for Jesus and we could have a little hut for Elijah and a little hut for Moses. And that way, you know, if people ever wanted to come and like hang out with Moses, they know where to find him. You know, we have this obsession with placing God somewhere, right? I'm going to build you this cathedral. Ah, it's going to be huge, right? It's going to be like 15 stories high and and it's like we're over here next to God, and God's, you know, talking to us, and we're like, oh, God, I just, I love you so much. Oh, this cathedral's going to be amazing. Let me just think about this. God's going to be a little nave where you can baptize people and a little place for the choir, a little chapel off to the side. And it's like God is still over here kind of like tapping his foot, you know, sort of like, okay, did you, are you, you're making this for me? Oh, I see, like I'm going to, so then I live there. Is that what you're saying? You know, I'm the God of the universe, and now I'm going to be, I'm going to be in your building uh, with a spot to sleep. That's nice. <laughs> we talk about churches this way too, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to denigrate necessarily this because there's a way of honoring God, but we call churches the house of God, as if this is where God like lives. You know, he's got a living room here. This is what the author of Hebrews says about the house of God. Would you like to hear? Because I looked, I was like, house of God, where is that show up in scripture? This is the best place that I've noticed that it shows up, the most uh, expressive place. The author of Hebrews says, now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we hold firm the confidence, and the pride that belong to hope. God does not live in a building. Bless you, Don. He doesn't live in a temple. He doesn't live in a church. He does not reside in Bethel Ministry in Redding, California. He does not reside in Mars Hill in Seattle, or in Angeles Temple, or the Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles. Neither does God live in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, or the Hagia Sophia in Turkey or the holy sepulcher in Jerusalem. Neither does he live a new life for Square church. God doesn't live in any of these places. Sisters and brothers, if you want to know where the house of God is, if you want to know where to find where God lives, you might be able to find him over at the Cedo's place. <laughs> As people are praying for them. You might be able to find it at Starbucks when you encounter a Bible study there. Yeah. After church, people might linger in the back a bit, praying for each other, encouraging each other out in the parking lot, and you might find the house of God there. That is where the house of God resides. But from the beginning of our relationship with God, we've attempted to tie God down, to keep him under control. You know? We don't want God on the loose, doing his thing. And maybe it's because on a certain level we understand what he's capable of. At a certain level, we understand that the God of the universe is powerful. In Scripture, it talks a lot about fear. Sometimes we don't really understand that. What does it mean to have a fear of the Lord? I think we have that. It's just in the back of our minds a bit. If you really bring that forward, what does it mean to actually be in the presence of the God of the universe? That's scary, right? There's a real a bit of fear that kind of goes along with that, right? Holy fear, a reverential fear, a fear of saying, oh my goodness, you are much bigger than I first imagined you to be. God likes being on the loose. He doesn't like being controlled. He constantly pushes back against that, doesn't he? Every time in history, if you look through history, the times when we've tried to tie God down the tightest are also the times where he starts to break out and do things in extraordinary ways that we don't expect. Biblical scholar John Goldengay, he taught at Fuller. I never took a class from him; it's It was a regret of mine. Uh, he was a great scholar. And he points out that Jesus never talks about our, our establishing God's kingdom or furthering it or building it or extending it. In the Gospels, the only thing that we do to the kingdom are wait for it, see it, enter it, seek it, receive it. Inherit it, declare that it has come. In other words, we don't have an active relationship to it at all. And in the US, this is an unpopular point to make because people feel like they can make a difference. We wanna feel like I'm doing something. You've got these buzzwords, you know, productivity, synergy. I still have absolutely no idea what that word means. Synergy, right? We wanna motivation, you want profit and 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 production. And our lives are fastened around this idea that our worth our worth is linked to our ability to produce our productivity. Our worth is linked to our productivity. And it's like I I suspect there's something very insecure about us that we've never fully accepted the idea that maybe, maybe there's something worthy about you simply because you were created in the image of God. And it's not something you can do. And it's not something you can take away. And that every single person has worth simply because you were created in God's image. You can't destroy God's image. You can't denigrate God's image. It's there. And you have worth because of it. Yeah. But the kingdom of God, which God is seeking to establish, he is putting out the fact that he is going to be the one doing the work. And here he's working out with David. No, David, you don't build houses for me. I build houses for you. I put you in a house. I place you in a house. And it's not just a typical house. This is what we're going to read now next. This isn't just a typical house. In fact, if you look at the word, right, David says, I want to build a house for God. A house, right? An actual building. And God says to David, David, I'm going to build a house for you, a household, a whole household, not just a building, a legacy. I'm going to build something that's going to last for eternity. You want to build me a house that's going to crumble in a few hundred years. I'm going to build you something that's going to be eternal. So that's what we're going to read next, verses 11 through 15. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all the words of this vision, this is what Nathan told David. Now here's this very interesting, and I want to point out something very interesting here. In verse 13, God says to David, your son, and is actually talking about Solomon at this time, your son. The one who's going to come after you and be king after you, he's going to build me a house. Now, isn't that funny? Now, here's God, right? And I I want to point this out also with the monarchy, with the whole idea of a king, right? The people come to God, they say, oh, God, we want a king. And God says, I don't want to give you a king. Why would you want to have a king? Here's what a king's going to do to you. And furthermore, you having a king means you're rejecting me as king, right? But then God says, all right, fine. You want a king? I'll give you a king. Here's a king. He goes along with the idea. And then he brings them David and says, this is the king that I would choose. This is the kind of guy that I would have as king. Right? And then he even takes it a step further, where he tells now David, he says, and David, you know what? There's always going to be a king on your throne. Now, how is that possible? There's always going to be a king on there, because eventually there's going to come a king who is going to rule forever. So we come to God with this idea, oh God, I want a king. And God's like, I don't want to give you a king, but I'll run around with your idea a little bit. Okay, let's see where this takes us. Here's what kingship is. Here's, let's, let's work with this idea. It's the same thing with a house. Oh, God, I want to build you a house. And God's like, why would you want to build me a house? I don't need a house. Have I ever asked for a house before? Do I need a house? Okay, I'll tell you what. You build me a house. Solomon's going to build me a house. I don't want you to build me a house. I'll have Solomon build me a house, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with a temple. We'll go along with that for a bit. Because ultimately... There's going to be a house that's established in the hearts of people. You want a king? Sure, fine. Let's try a king for a little bit. Because ultimately, I know there's going to be a king that's going to rule forever. You want a house? Okay, fine. Build me a house. Do what you want to do. Because ultimately, a house is going to be created in you. And it's amazing to me that God goes along with us, doesn't he? Man, sometimes I feel like we spend so much time trying to discern oh, what's the will of God in this situation? What's the will of God in this situation? Guys, I, some of the times in my life where I've lived out what I thought was the will of God and I look back on it and I'm like, man, that was a really silly idea. Why would I ever, ever thought that God would have? But then God uses it anyways, in spite of me. He, he goes along with it in spite of me. Because ultimately he cares more about me. Brothers, we talked about last week. He contends more for you than he does even for your vision of what the future should be like. He's gunning for us. So here we have God telling David, David, your son's going to make me a house. And furthermore, he says, I'm going to make a covenant. with." This is a covenant. This is called the Davidic Covenant, if you want to know what the name of it is. And a covenant is essentially the foundation of a deep and committed relationship between God and humanity. In verse 15, he says, I will not take my steadfast love from him, From your offspring, as I took it from Saul. Your house and your kingdom shall be made forever sure before me. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, who we're going to read a little prayer from him later, he called this section the dramatic and theological center of the entire Samuel corpus. In fact, he says it's one of the most crucial texts in the Old Testament for our faith. Because here, God makes a covenant with David, the foundation of which is deep. And it's all one sided. I'm going to make a house for you. I'm going to establish your line, David. You don't have to do anything about this. Nothing you could do to stop this, nothing you could do to get this going. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to establish an eternal line before me. Coming out of you. And I'm not going to take my loving kindness from this line. That word, that word loving kindness, is a very it's a special word called, is it called Hesed? Say Hesed. hesed. Gesundheit. <laughs> you can come and sit if you want to. You don't have to. We're a country church, so it's like just come in and. It's an eternal Hesed of God. What does Hesed mean? What is that Hesed word? This is where it often gets translated as loving kindness or a steadfast love. It's one of these words that's difficult to translate. Um, and I was thinking about this week, like, how am I going to explain what this word is? And the best illustration I could come up with was, uh, if you've ever held an infant, we, we have a little girl, and we had a little boy. Now he's like a little man. Um, but if you've ever held an infant child, it doesn't even have to be yours, and... and um, Have you ever had them fall asleep in your arms? And as they're falling asleep and they're just lying there and they're just like, you know, out of it, and you're just looking at this baby, and you're just, the love that is pouring from you into this sleeping child, and you realize, I've had this moment a few times recently, you realize, I would do anything for this child. There, this child could be an evil, could turn out to be such an evil person, but this love, I can't, this is just too much for me. And it's almost like it's, it overwhelms you. That's the beginning of what chesed is. That's the beginning of what chesed is, right? Because our love, ultimately, our human love, human commitments are are, uh, finite. They're going to end eventually. If they don't get destroyed through sin, they, they leave with death. You know, that's why when we marry people, we say "Till death do you part," right? Like that's that ends our, our the ability of us to give love on earth. But for God, His Chesed, His love, that sort of commitment is everlasting. It's as everlasting as God is everlasting. It's as deep as God is deep, and as wide as God is wide. Right? It's this constant and continual and eternal love. The psalmist says, Your throne is built on righteousness and justice. Loyal love and faithfulness stand before you. So here in verse 16, God says to David, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Just like God has the responsibility of planting David, So the faithful, loving kindness of God goes out for all of eternity. Now, this scene, this moment, this covenant, reading this becomes even more dramatic if you understand a bit of the history behind this particular section of Scripture. Just like the Gospels were written down not during the moment, right? So people weren't taking notes, but after Jesus had died and was resurrected, then the Gospel writers said, I'm going to write this out and write out the story. Right. Even still, this Davidic covenant, this whole story of Samuel, uh, was most likely perhaps taken, some, written some notes, given orally for a while. But when it was actually put together and kind of all brought into one place, and like, this is Samuel, scholars believe that it was a few uh, hundred years later, not during David's lifetime. In fact, probably it was put together after the Babylonians had taken Judah out of Israel. Imagine encountering this phrase while you're living in Babylon. And what happened when Judah Judah was taken out of Israel by the Babylonians, they took the last king with them, and he died in Babylon. You can read about that at the end of 2 Kings. What would it be like to read this? You know the last king is dead. You know you're in Babylon. You're in exile. What does it mean to write about God's eternal commitment to David after David's line has died? What does it mean to a people living in exile to read the words of the Lord who says, your house and your kingdom shall be made forever before me? Your throne shall be established forever. What does it mean? And I want to point this to you. What does it mean to you to read the words of Jesus who says, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. When your life doesn't appear like that. When you're lonely, what does it mean to read that? What does it mean to sing the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it as well, it is well with my soul. And I, you may be here today thinking about this and, and, and maybe even encountering this, chesed, this idea of God's eternal and abiding love for the first time. And you may be thinking to yourself, that's something that I can think about, but it's not something that I feel right now. It's not something, this is not a part of my situation. I want to tell you, you're very much in company with the people who are putting this together who are living in Babylon, who have already seen David's line end and wondering, wondering, will God be faithful here? Is God faithful here? Is God faithful in your life? Is God faithful to his promises? That question again and again, it comes up to us. And absolutely, you've heard it from a few people here. Was God faithful here? Yes. Yes, he is. To encounter these words in a time of exile is the same as to sing, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Sister, that night might be long, but there is a dawn coming. There is a faithfulness to God. That dawn always comes right in the morning. Yeah. And if there is a God who is faithful to raise the sun every day and faithful to bring it down every night, He is faithful to us in our times of need. Brother, death might be knocking at your door, but hallelujah, we serve somebody who has already overcome death. There's somebody who's already passed through that. And if you want to know what the faithfulness of God is in your life, I encourage you to start looking towards Jesus because Jesus is the representation of the fulfillment of these promises. As Israel waits for 600 years, they waited from the time when David's line ended until the time when Jesus came. 600 years of wondering, of perhaps thinking to themselves, I wonder if God has forgotten. It's been quite a long time. It's been... More than just a few years. It's been more than just a few generations. It's been over half a millennia. Will he follow through? Today, if you're feeling like this is the darkest night, we need to face Jesus and seek him, seek him out. Hannah said it best. She said, the Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The most high will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed and beloved. For 600 years they waited until we find in Matthew 1.1, the very first verse, very first chapter of our New Testament where it says, this is a genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David. The son of David. For 600 years they waited. What are you waiting for in your own life? What is it in your own heart that you're wondering? Is the faithfulness of God going to endure this? And today I want to give us a chance to respond to that. I want to give us a chance to to declare that God is faithful. Today I want to encourage you. God is committed to you. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're coming from. I know some of you a little bit better than others, but... I don't know your heart. That's something that only God knows. But I want to tell you what I know for true. And that is that God is faithful. God doesn't give you a promise and then renege on that. God follows through. How do I know that? That's a part of my testimony. It's a part of the testimony of this church. And if you need to be encouraged by somebody's testimony today, I pray that you would reach out. I'm not going to get into my long testimony right now, but you're encouraged to come and talk to me or talk to one another. There's saints around you with testimonies to assure you that the faithfulness of God does not end. It goes forth. So we're going to do a little bit of singing. I'm going to invite Jim Huffman up here. He's going to help me. And we're going to do a little bit of singing as a response. I feel like worship music is a good way to respond to God. So if you want to respond to God with me this morning. I'm going to teach you a new song. This is not a song that um, that you know necessarily. Maybe some of you might know it. And then we're going to sing a song that you probably do know. But during this time, if you want to stand, stand. If you want to sit, sit. But uh, I pray that you would worship God and let's declare His promises here. Father, we just come before you. God, with our lives, with the brokenness that is our hearts, and even in times of desperation, God, we're choosing to believe in you, to have faith in you. Jesus, I pray that during this time you begin to minister to our hearts. And those of us who need to sing out these words, just feel the freedom to sing them out
1: song goes like this. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. Give her mercy. You're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing.
0: Father of Kindness.
1: Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing, oh, faithful you are, faithful forever you will be, oh, faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen. Whoa. All your promises are yes and amen.
0: Beautiful Savior.
1: Beautiful Savior, you have brought me near. You pulled me from ashes. You have broken every curse. Blessed Redeemer, you have set this captive free. Oh Lord, I can't help but see, faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen, yeah. All your promises are yes and amen, Declare them tonight, faithful. Faithful you are. You are faithful, Lord. Faithful forever you will be, oh, faithful. All your promises are yes and amen, yeah. All your promises are yes and amen. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. I will rest. Promises. My, My confidence is, is your
2: faithfulness.
0: Today I want you to know that the Lord wants to establish you. Earlier this morning we had communion, and communion is all about acknowledging and realizing the goodness of salvation that God has already given us. And if you came this morning and you're like, you know, this is something that's new for me, even if you've been coming here for a while, I want you to know God wants to establish you. God is faithful. Let's just sing, I will rest.
1: Your promises, my confidence, confidence is your faithfulness. And I, will I will rest in your promises. Your promise my confidence, confidence, confidence is your faithfulness. Faithful, faithful, and faithful and you are. Faith. Faithful forever you will be faithful you are All your promises are yes and amen. All your
0: promises are yes and
1: amen.
2: stand and we're going to sing great is your faithfulness and look at our father in heaven and look up to heaven and thank him for his faithfulness to us if we can't build him a house he'll build one for us great is thy faithfulness oh god my father There is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. Raise your hands and sing it to Him great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning the seasons. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifest great faithfulness mercy and love. Sing it out. Great is thy faithfulness Great is thy faithfulness Morning by morning new mercies I see. All hath provided great is thy faithfulness great is thy faith i did it another time here great is thy faithfulness lord unto me now we're going to ask we're going to thank him for pardoning us for our sin Mm. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand beside great is thy faithfulness great Sing it again. Great is Thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Give the Lord a hand. Amen.
0: Clap. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that You are faithful. God, we believe that You are faithful today, tomorrow, and every day. Now, therefore, in the name of Jesus be blessed to go and love and serve the Lord and live out the life of faith within the community. Amen and amen. Turn to somebody, give them